Hi everyone, it's really good to be with you today. You've heard that our Lent series is called Journey to the Cross. And over the course of the six weeks of Lent, we are taking a slow look through Mark chapters 14 and 15 together and looking at the final weeks of Jesus' life. I wonder when you last heard the phrase, it's not fair. Maybe someone close to you said it recently. Maybe someone in your household or bubble, you were driving, someone got the parking space first. It's not fair, I was indicating. Maybe it was said by one of your kids. It's not fair, you let him play on the Xbox more than me, or you gave her more cake than me. Those kind of scenarios never happen in our house, of course they don't. Maybe you said that phrase yourself, the injustice that you feel when you're overcharged by mistake, or you get a snotty email about something that's nothing to do with you. It's not fair. Bill Gates once said, life's not fair, get used to it which might be easier to say uh, when you're one of the richest people in the world, as he is. Victoria Wood said, life's not fair, is it? Some of us drink champagne in the fast lane, and some of us eat our sandwiches by the loose chippings on the A597. Pretty good summary of the apparent unfairness of life right there. Sometimes life doesn't feel very fair, and in this current season that we're in, we might have felt that more than usual. I felt it, the unfairness of this season. Why does it have to be like this? The passage that we heard read to us uh, earlier by Alistair is a story that is not fair, that's got injustice at the heart of it. It's a story about Jesus facing the biggest miscarriage of justice that has ever been seen. Jesus is on trial and the trial is not fair from start to finish. And then on top of that, while this miscarriage of justice is taking place, he is then denied by a close friend of his, Peter. Jesus is let down in the story that we've read on all sides, all around. Jesus has been arrested. We heard about that last week. And then he's tried before the Sanhedrin. Mark 14, 53 says they took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law came together. This was a trial in front of the Jews. This was the highest of the Jewish courts. The Sanhedrin was a group of 70 Jewish leaders made up of um, Jewish priests and elders and scribes. And then with the high priest that made a group in total of 71. And keep in mind that these were the religious leaders, these were the upstanding, educated leaders of the day. And yet in spite of that, this trial was completely unjust. Jewish law was violated all over the place throughout this trial. A case like this shouldn't have taken place at night. A second day of hearing should have taken place to make sure it was fair. And a trial shouldn't take place on the Sabbath or a festival. Added to that, people testified falsely against Jesus. They were looking to find him guilty regardless. Verse 55. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Really, the Jewish leaders wanted quick action and to find Jesus guilty regardless. Jesus' final hours were unjust and illegal. It's not fair. 
And while this is taking place, Peter, Jesus' friend, is warming himself by the fire in the courtyard and when asked about knowing Jesus by a servant girl, denies him three times, just as Jesus said that he would. Injustice is hard for us to stomach, isn't it? That's why from such an early age we learn the phrase, it's not fair. There's something interesting in our two stories here in Mark. The fact that Mark places each of these two stories next to each other. Usually we might hear a focus on one or the other. We might hear a particular sermon or message about Jesus' trial. Or we might hear about Peter's denial. In fact, there'll be multiple messages you could bring on both of those two stories. But in our sweep of Mark 14 and 15 over Lent, we read them together, and rightly so. Mark is fond of a technique known as the Markan sandwich, and it's a name of a particular technique that he loves to use. A Markan sandwich is about the way that Mark weaves the story of Jesus together in a particular way on purpose. And what Mark does is he gets one story and he inserts inside that story another story. And that serves the purpose of giving both stories a greater sense of meaning. It makes the reader stop and think, what's Mark trying to say? There's something important going on here. Mark does this in various places in his gospel. For example, in Mark chapter 5, he does it with the story of Jairus' daughter and the woman um, with bleeding. He intertwines those. Or the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple in Mark chapter 11. In our Mark and Sandwich here, Mark has arrived at the priest's courtyard. So he's arrived in the courtyard. We then switch to the hearing before the Sanhedrin. And then we go back to Peter again and his denial. And Mark's done that on purpose to give both those stories a greater sense of meaning and to link them together. And as we look at the different reactions to Jesus in these two stories, very different reactions, we see that actually they're linked. Have a look at it. Jesus prophesies that Peter will deny him. And then we swing to the trial where Jesus is before the Jewish leaders and irony of irony, they accuse him of being a false prophet. And then we swing back to Peter and the prophetic prediction comes true. Two very different stories. Jewish leaders who hated Jesus versus a dear friend who'd followed him. A group of 71 versus a solitary individual. Angry outbursts versus a quiet secretive denial but they're linked, how? By the injustice of their actions, by the fear of the future. And they're tied together because both responses are, are tied together because of Jesus' claims to be the Messiah. They both let Jesus down, despite the truth. And I think there are some things for us to think about here as we reflect on this passage. At the heart of the gospel is a call to follow Jesus in our words and our actions, to believe that he is who he said he was. Whoever we are, that should be our response. Before we think about that a bit more, I want to show you a spoken word piece which tells the story that we've read today from Peter's perspective. It's a really powerful piece of writing and I want you to listen out as you watch it to Peter's own response of regret but also the way that he describes the way that Jesus was treated by the Jewish leaders at the trial as well as we consider these two stories together. Have a look at this. He asked us who he said he was. That's what he said. You're the Christ. 
You know, he rode a donkey into Jerusalem, right? People laying down a procession of palm leaves for the one we'd all been waiting for. It was like one of those pinch me moments. Then Passover came. Me and the boys are tucking into the flatbread and Jesus just comes out with it. One of you dipping bread in the balsamic's gonna turn me in, he said. Then he takes the bread, tears and shares it. What are you waiting for? Tuck in, he said. This is my body, broken, beaten, bruised for you. Then he gives thanks and passes round the red. Drink up, he said. This is my blood, poured out for plenty. A bit later, we're up the Mount of Olives with Jesus. You know, when push comes to shove, you're all going to bail on me, he said. No chance, I said. The rest of the might, I'm not going anywhere, I said. Count on it, he said. Before the night's over, you'll swear blind you don't even know me, he said. On my life, I'll never deny you. I'll die for you, I said. It all happened so fast. One minute, we're with Jesus as he's praying up Gethsemane and we're sparked out unconscious the next. They've got Jesus in handcuffs. And all they can remember is what he said. That we'll bail on him. That we'll deny him. That I'll deny him. I'm not having it, I thought. He's got it wrong, I thought. So I drew out my sword. I gripped my teeth and I let rip. I cut this guy's ear clean off. Come on, let's have it. Enough, Jesus said. As he just goes quietly and I just legged it. I tailed him till we ended up at the chief priest's place. Me, in the courtyard, outside by the fire, him, inside, standing trial. <laughs> trial. Witnesses fabricating fake news, trying to pin something on Jesus that would land a death penalty. You got nothing to say, they said. No defence, they said, goaded him. Give it to us straight. Are you the Christ, they said. I am, he said. Enough said. As the guards struck him, stripped him and spat him. Bang! Go on! Prophesy who landed that right up, they said. Meantime, I'm warming my hands by the fire, trying to keep a low profile. Although there's only so much blending in you can do when you're watching your best mate and mental get the living daylights kicked out of him. Hang about. I know you, the servant girl said. Must have one of those faces, I said. No, you're uh, one of this lot from Nazareth, she said. Don't know what you're talking about, love, I said. I made a beeline for the exit, but now she's got a captive audience. Hey, guess who he's friends with, she said. Thinks she's had a bit too much of the Merlot, I said, but they won't let it go. I could see them eyeballing me, working it out in their head. Come on, mate. If you're not from Galilee, I'll eat my own sandal on my mother's life. I've not even met the guy. The cockle crows a second time. And that's when I see him. Tossed around like a tear and share flatbread. Broken, beaten, bruised. Just like he said. And with a bottle's worth of red blood smeared across his face, he looks at me. He looks right at me, right into the depths of me. And all I can remember is what I said. I'll never deny you. I'll die for you. 
three times you'll deny me Pete, he said. And I just broke down and wept. powerful stuff isn't it Di Waldridge is a brilliant storyteller and I love that retelling of our passage today I've said that these two stories the trial before the Sanhedrin and Peter's denial are knit together very purposefully by Mark in a particular way tied together by injustice in the face of truth those things are woven together to highlight the way that Jesus is rejected all over the place by all sorts of different people in every sphere and as the stories unfold, Jesus stands out. All the reactions we read about here hinge on Jesus being who he says he is. The high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. The contrast here is with Jesus, that it's about him and that that final statement at the trial about being the Messiah, that's what rings out loud and clear, standing over these two accounts. There are a variety of responses to Jesus' claims to be the saviour, of him saying, I am the Messiah. And here we are. What is our response to Jesus today, to him being the Messiah, the saviour today? This passage calls out trust and faith in who Jesus is, believing that he is who he says he is, that he is the Messiah, that we are to put our money where our mouth is, be willing to follow him. When I heard the government announce the new roadmap, the roadmap out of lockdown, I had all sorts of feelings about that. I wondered how realistic it was and uh, whether it would happen in the way that they said it would. But also I felt a huge sense of hope the weather was sunny, we'd had some beautiful weather around then, the daffodils were out in my garden. It's been a long, dark winter, hasn't it? January, I swear it feels like it's had about 237 days. It's been a long winter. I heard this message and I felt some hope. This whole story that we've read happens at night. It happens in the dark. It is so much harder to trust Jesus in the dark, isn't it? It's so much harder to trust Jesus when things feel unfair. That's when, like Peter, we want to deny him and run in the other direction. Or like the Jewish leaders accuse and get angry or to say that we don't deserve this. And I read this story about the darkness of Jesus' final days and the responses to him. And I, I hear this declaration ringing out, I am the Messiah. And I'm called back to the heart of the gospel, which is to trust Jesus, to trust him all the time, to trust him in the dark, when things feel unfair, when denial or self-preservation feels easier. Friends, that's what we've signed up to in following Jesus, to follow him in our words and our actions. Peter and the Jewish leaders lose their integrity to save their skin. Jesus retains his integrity at the cost of his life. This time last year, it was the final Sunday in our building before we closed. On March the 15th last year, I stood here and shared a message to our church family, having no idea what the next year would bring. 
If any of us had known what the months ahead would bring, we wouldn't have believed it, would we? And yet, here we are. It is a testimony to God's faithfulness that here we are. Our CBC family have been amazing this whole year. It's felt dark at times, hasn't it? I'm sure for you and for me. It's felt like winter. It's been a long winter, but it feels like spring is coming. And the so what today, as we look at this passage, is simple, really. I want to just remind you that Jesus is who he says he is. And that's true in the winter as well as in the summer. It's true in the dark as well as in the light. And unlike Peter and unlike the Jewish leaders, we are called to respond to his declaration, to him being saviour with faith and trust and demonstration in our lives. Who knows what the next year will look like? Who knows what the months ahead will bring? But Jesus is trustworthy. We can take him at his word. Let's put aside anger and regret and fear and accusation and choose trust and obedience in him. He is who he says he is. He is trustworthy. He calls us, unlike Peter, unlike the Jewish leaders, to declare with our mouths and with our lives that we will follow him and to worship him in that way. Why don't we take some time as we come to the end of the service and as we worship together to respond to who Jesus is and to who he's calling us to be in this season ahead. Whatever it will bring, let's put our trust in him and say that we will follow him. Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever sing Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name. 
just the only one who could ever say He's worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus together as we confess our trust in him again, the Lord. I just pray for you, the church family here a year on, thanking you for your commitment and your support and your love for each other and for this church. And I pray now that we might know him, the Messiah, the Saviour, the faithful one, and that we might trust him today and in the days ahead. Lord, would you help us to trust you Help us to put our faith in you, whatever the next season brings. And I commit my church family and this community to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all, everyone.